Welcome to the Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech Podcast. On this show, we focus on how the real estate industry, the world's single largest emitter of greenhouse gases, can leverage climate tech to become part of the sustainability solution. I'm your host, Greg Smithies. I'm a partner on the climate tech team at Fifth Wall, the largest and most active venture investor in technology for the real estate industry. In this podcast, we'll be joined by people on the front lines, the people inventing, investing in, and deploying the climate tech we'll need to make our homes, offices, and communities more efficient, more sustainable, and ever closer to carbon zero. Hi, everybody, and uh, welcome to another episode of Fifth Wall's Tactical Tool Belt uh, Climate Tech Podcast. And today I have the fantastic opportunity to chat with Christian Weeks, who is the CEO of Inverid Systems. Uh, thanks so much for spending the time with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So, um, you know, I'm very excited to learn about what Inverid does, but I'm also always much more fascinated about how people kind of got to where they are in uh, in startup world. So would love to learn just a little bit more about how you got here to be the CEO of this uh, super interesting company. Sure. Well, a uh, great place to start. Um, for me, when it comes to work, I've found that I'm passionate about two things, really. First is having a positive impact on the world around me. And second is trying to build businesses and make things work better and grow things. And so I've tried to put the two together um, and done that by focusing on what was originally referred to as clean tech and has evolved into climate tech, which I think is great. Um, as you know, as well as anyone, there's a ton of innovation happening in climate tech to solve big and existential challenges. And this creates amazing opportunities to do good and do well at the same time. So that's really where I've decided to focus. I ended up spending a, about a decade at Enerdoc, which is a Boston-based clean tech company that really invented the modern commercial industrial demand response market and then expanded into a broader set of energy services. Uh, Enerdoc was acquired by NLX, a large European utility, in 2007. And after a few years with NLX, I decided it was time to, for a new challenge. Uh, and was looking for a smaller company that was looking to have a big impact on climate. I wanted to stay in the space. Um, and I had seen Enernot grow from around 400 to 1,200 employees over those years and it become and then become part of a very large company. And what I want to do is get into a company at the ground floor and help build from the ground up again. So that's where Inverid comes into the story. I found Inverid in late 2008. Uh, uh, sorry, 18, joined the company in 2019. Uh, and Inverit's got amazing technology that I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, and it fits in with an opportunity to help address this climate issue and do good and do well at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's a great sort of mission-driven mission ideal that you've had in your life here for you know a, a while. I, I'm always heartened that, that people have been doing this for a long time, um, but also disheartened that maybe over the last 20-ish years we've had the world's best and brightest minds have been going to Facebook and optimizing, you know, social algorithms or, or ad click-throughs. Um, so uh, I think what what I'd like to see is a whole bunch more people like you realizing that, um, you know, go, going and you can make money and you can save the world and do something very impactful all at the same time. It's, it's no longer a situation where you kind of have to pick one out of three or, or whatever it happens to be, right? Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Yeah, so so clearly when you saw this company, there was some big problem which you really thought that they, they could solve. What was it that uh, that uh, you saw as the sort of big existential problem? 
So the whole climate issue is really, of course, around carbon. And what attracted me about Inverit is that they're tackling arguably the largest source of carbon emissions or one of the largest sources of carbon emissions in, in the building world. Uh, and operational carbon emissions is probably where I should focus. Um, but we've also got a great story about indoor air quality, and which I think we'll also get into. Um, but buildings, as you know, are responsible for around 40% of global carbon emissions. In the U.S., commercial buildings alone contribute about 17% of total carbon emissions each year. And then if we go a little further within commercial buildings, turns out that heating, ventilation, and air conditioning, or HVAC, is responsible for about a third of commercial buildings' energy intensity. So this means, you know, this meant to me when I was looking at this, that to reduce the carbon impact of one of the most energy-intensive systems in buildings, which are on their own very energy-intensive and carbon-intensive, we have to think about different ways to design and operate HVAC systems. And that's exactly what uh, Invera does. If we keep peeling back the onion, what we find that, especially in hot and cold climates, a key driver of HVAC energy intensity is known as dilution ventilation. <laughs> That's a sexy term. <laughs> yeah, it's a very sexy industry term, uh, but essentially describes a process uh, which is really simple. It's constantly replacing the air in buildings with so-called fresh air from the outside. Most buildings, most office buildings, are designed to replace 100% of the air inside with outside air up to 18 times a day, which is essentially like air conditioning your house with the window open, which requires bigger HVAC systems and more energy consumption. Another analogy we like to use is it's like trying to keep the water in your fish tank clean by replacing it with fresh water many times a day. This is the way we maintain good indoor air quality in buildings today. Uh, and it's really energy intensive. And uh, it's also resulted in a tension we've seen between delivering healthy and safe indoor environments and achieving energy and sustainability goals. Uh, and Invera's really found a way to square those two competing goals and deliver good indoor air quality energy efficiently. Um, so I can expand on that if you'd like. Yeah, I... So I think the whole industry has really struggled with that with that trade-off traditionally. It's basically pick clean air or pick an efficient building. And if you're picking clean air, right, it means we're going to do more air changes in the building. That 18 number might be higher, right? Um, or we can choose uh, energy efficiency and maybe we dial back the 18 number, but then in, inherently our air gets dirtier, right? Um, and this has been almost like a, a, a devil's sort of choice that you, that you had to make. And then in certain times, right, like with COVID, you know, everybody goes towards where we want clean air. Um, and then your sustainability numbers go, you know, drop, drop off of the cliff. Um, okay, so massive problem, HVAC, uh, huge uh, energy user. Um, what is it that Invera does that actually solves this? What Inverid's founders identified, they came from outside the industry and they looked at, they were looking at buildings and uh, interested in, in developing new technologies and they discovered this inefficiency and they set out to invent a way to clean air in buildings of all the contaminants of concern that, that we worry about, including CO2, by the way, which is generated by people. But as Joe Allen from Harvard University and others have shown, elevated CO2 can become a uh, result in less 
cognitive performance, less healthy work environments. Yeah. We, we've always felt that at the, at the end of a conference, uh, conference room meeting, you've got five people in the meeting and everybody's lo- yawning after 40 minutes in their conference room. It's not that it was a boring meeting. It's that there's no more oxygen in that room. Right. Right. Well, the CO2 levels have gone up and that has a, that slows down our cognitive function. Uh, so what, you know, Udi and the team and Inver, the founding team, set out to do was figure out how can we clean the air in buildings, control these contaminants at their source, rather than rely on large volumes of outside air and dilution ventilation to do that. Uh, and they looked for inspiration for how to do this to NASA and the Navy. If you think about it, when you're underwater or in a spaceship, you can't bring in outside air. That's not an option. And so they've had to come up with a way uh, to solve this problem. Uh, and that is what Inverit has done. Inverit has basically figured out how to take this technology that has been used for decades in spaceships and submarines uh, and apply it to commercial buildings. And what it re- has resulted in is a piece of equipment we call an HVAC load reduction or HLR module, which does exactly what it says. It cleans the air in the building of all the molecular contaminants of concern, as well as CO2, uh, without producing any byproducts. We're capturing these contaminants. Uh, And in doing that, we can safely recirculate this indoor air and not be as dependent on these large volumes of outside air, which in many months of the year, many climate zones, as we've said before, need to be conditioned, which is energy intensive. And what, what kind of a reduction in overall energy intensity can you get from this or, or a reduction in the amount of outside air that you can bring in and need to bring in? Yeah. So, it, you know, it's, it's an engineered solution. It will vary by building. But in general, we're able to reduce outside air requirements under the building codes by anywhere from 50 to even 70 or sometimes 80 percent. Essentially, we're limited by building pressurization. You always need some... Um, exhaust air, some outside air to balance, you know, doors opening and kitchen exhaust and toilet exhaust. But the rest of the air that we're bringing in the buildings is for indoor air quality purposes. And so if we can control those contaminants and clean that air, we then don't need to replace it except what's needed for pressurization. So in terms of energy savings, you know, we're really focused on the ventilation of the HVAC energy load. We've been able to reduce that by up to 45%. Uh, in, in many projects and not only reduce the energy consumption because we're conditioning less outside air, but also reduce the peak demand, which allows us to, of course, help on your build from a peak standpoint, help us integrate renewables with less need to build out the grid. Um, but also if we're deploying new HVAC systems, we don't need 60 tons anymore. We might be able to get away with 50 tons. So you can actually downsize equipment and save on first costs where we deploy these air scrubbers with, with new HVAC systems, which is really compelling. Yeah, that's really interesting. But I, I think maybe the the analogy to um, to submarines and say uh, space capsules, there is one key difference. Is in those situations you typically have a nuclear power plant that's powering them, and you basically got free energy, right? So how is it that you guys are doing this in uh, an, an energy efficient way? Because I know that the systems that submarines use, uh, you can't just pl- take that out of a submarine and put it into a building because it's just not going to actually be efficient to run, right? Yeah, it's a really good point, actually. And you've, you've touched on one of the two key breakthroughs that were necessary to bring this technology from space and submarines into buildings. The first is that the technology that NASA uses is, is not constrained by the, the same budget that a real estate owner or developer might be. So it's pretty expensive technology. Um, and the second is you referred to with submarines is this regeneration process. If you've got a, uh, for the sorbent materials that we're using here, 
if you've got a nuclear reactor or submarine, energy is essentially infinite uh, for purpose of regenerating these cartridges so you can use them over an extended period of time. We had to solve both of those challenges to bring this to commercial buildings, and we, we were able to do that. It took a number of years, about five years of research and development and partnerships with MIT and University of Southern California and others to do this. But essentially what we've done is developed our own sorbent material, uh, an amine-based sorbent material that has the ability to capture these molecular contaminants. But And we've used, developed that using source materials that are much more readily available and a lower cost than what might be used on uh, in submarines or spaceships or even on smokestacks where we're trying to capture some of these contaminants. Um, but to your point, we, also, we had to design the material. We had to develop the material science so that we can regenerate these sorbents at a relatively low temperature. And what we've been able to do with our materials is regenerate them at 130 to 150 degrees Fahrenheit compared to maybe 1,000 degrees Celsius, which is very energy intensive. And that's the breakthrough that really unlocked this technology for the commercial building application. I'll just maybe add that this regeneration process with this heating element is really important because when we're scrubbing for these contaminants in buildings, after some time, our filters will saturate with CO2 molecules, which are more common. It comes from people and it's in parts per million, whereas formaldehyde, for example, is parts per billion. So we do fill up with CO2. Uh, and the economics for them to work necessity that we don't have to re can't replace these filters every three months that's too expensive and so what we were able to do is heat the cartridge bank where these filters are, are uh, exist in this module and in the heating process we can reverse the capture the, the chemical bond that we form with the molecules release them we can vent them then outside the building and then recharge the cartridge so we can use this cartridge for two years before it needs to be replaced. And that really makes the unit economics work. It also makes the maintenance really straightforward because the only maintenance is really replacing those cartridges every other year. Yep. And then I assume that that you know, probably happens in the middle of the night when electricity is uh, relatively cheap and, and all of that sort of stuff, right? Exactly. We'll schedule regeneration during the off hours. Yep. And then probably the, the number one question we get on technologies like this is, okay, but how difficult is this to install? And what do I have to add to my HVAC system to get it to work and, and all of those stuff? Kind of like, where, where's the catch where the rubber meets the road in, in actually using this? Yeah, well, the catch is that um, there's really two catches, I suppose. One of them has to do with the installation. So let me start there, then I'll speak briefly the other one. It's an engineered solution. Um, but we've tried to keep it really simple, and our, our product roadmap is really focused on how do we make this even easier to deploy in different types of buildings with different types of mechanical systems. But the key is it's a, it's a, it's a relatively small modular unit that can be deployed on its own or as part of clusters, you know, many mod, you know, more, more, uh, you know, multiple modules for multiple you know, floors or different type spaces. And in terms of integration, uh, we need power. If we're scrubbing for CO2, we need to do that regeneration process. We need the ability to exhaust outside the building. Uh, and then we need some space. So we call it the three Ps, power, placement, and purge. We need power, we need location, you know, space in the mechanical room perhaps, and the ability to exhaust. Now, if we're not scrubbing for CO2, we don't need to exhaust. So that simplifies it significantly. Um, and we also need less power. And uh, a much, we just recently launched a much smaller form factor for our technology, which is great for the retrofit market because it's half the size, doesn't require quite the same level of power. So we've been focused on making it much easier, but it's a standalone unit that will tie into an existing system via some ductwork and a back net connection to the BMS. It's, it's actually relatively simple. 
Yep, got it. Maybe maybe as an analogy here, how complicated uh, or what are the requirements here versus some other piece of standard HVAC equipment someone might might be uh, familiar with, right? Like an exhaust fan or a, or a blow box or you know anything like that. Yeah, I mean we have standard mechan- you know mechanical contractors installing this technology. I would say it's very comparable um, in terms of how it uh, is is designed and uh, installed. Yep. And then how about um, uh, the, the other big question that I know our CFO type people uh, always want to know is uh, CapEx payback, right? So we, we've seen, uh, as you said, incredible energy savings uh, here, but is the juice worth the squeeze, right? It's, it's not worth it if your 40% energy savings cost you a million bucks up front, right? Yeah. So the economics here, so the value proposition, again, is um, there's, there's two ways to think about it. If we're going into a new building, or a building where we're replacing old systems, doing a modernization or a, a deep retrofit, and we install our air scrubbers with new HVAC systems, we can downsize those new systems. So in those cases, the payback is almost immediate. Um, and then you have the ongoing energy savings. The, the downsizing cost savings can basically cover our costs. Maybe you need a year or two to get the money back from the energy savings, but it's pretty quick. Um, in addition to that, of course, we're unlocking lead points and well building credits. We're improving indoor air quality. We're reducing carbon emissions. In retrofit applications, uh, we're you know we've got the we've got our own installation costs because we're typically going to buildings where they have all, you know HVAC systems up and running, and we're deploying you know into those systems. We're integrating with those systems, so we've got a little more overhead, project overhead to to, to, to sort of carry our own project here. And we're dependent on the ongoing energy savings to drive the payback. Energy savings are very much a function of climate zone. How many heating and cooling degree days are there? How much you know, conditioning of outside air is necessary? And also energy rates and utility incentives. So we tend to focus on markets with hotter and colder climates with higher energy you know, rates. And in those markets, we typically see a payback period of anywhere from two years to five years and sometimes a little bit longer for a more complex installation. But it really comes down to the climate zone, the energy rates, the operating hours of the building. If it's running for 24-7, it's going to have more opportunity for savings. Utility incentives can also be helpful. Um, and again, if we find those, those parameters, then we can deliver you know, two or three-year payback sometimes, which are very good for HVAC projects, along with those other benefits. Again, the air quality, the lead and well-building credits if you're trying to recertify and, and the, uh, the carbon impact. Yep. And how bankable is this technology? Because, uh, you know, often we want to go and finance these things with debt. Maybe we're going to someone like a Gritential or someone to to go and uh, lower our CapEx costs and then recoup it over time in the energy savings. Are the savings here predictable enough and the technology sort of baked enough here that um, we can go and and finance it with these alternative ways? Yeah, great question. So, the tech, we've been installing these units since 2014, so seven years now. Um, our technology has been validated by multiple utilities who have done measurement and verification, offered incentives for the for the uh, for the projects. Um, recently, actually, last February 2020, NREL published a report where they studied a number of our infield deployments and looked at the uh, performance as well as the indoor air quality benefits. They confirmed that you know they found in our deployments that we can reduce outside air without negatively impacting indoor air quality and of course in the process deliver energy savings they highlighted that it very much does depend on the climate zone and the energy rates in terms of how much savings are delivered but the technology now has been been well vetted we have hundreds of units deployed in the US and in fact in across the world as well and um, you know that really has not been slowing us down 
Yep. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I always love love to see where technology is kind of ready to go. People can buy it right now. The capex payback periods make sense. Um, so, kind of just to summarize here, it looks like you know somewhere between forty five to fifty percent energy cost savings, seventy ish percent decrease in uh, the number of turns of air through the building. Um, HVAC systems are typically, depending on your building, but round about a third to a half of your total energy load. Right. So this is this is meaningful for the vast majority of commercial buildings. Um, so pretty, pretty incredible solution. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be interested in, in learning more. So where can uh, people go to find out more and maybe get in contact? Great. Just to um, clarify one point you just made, the energy savings, the 40 to 50% are on the HVAC component of the building uh, load. So not the overall building, just so that's clear for you, for the listeners. 40 to 50% of your third of your electricity that is in HVAC. Right. Yeah, exactly. Don't want to oversell it, although it's still very impactful. <laughs> Um, so where to learn more, uh, visit our website, inverid.com. Inverid is E-N-V-E-R-I-D, E-N-V-E-R-I-D.com. And we'd be happy to connect with you. You can email us at info at inverid.com. We go to market through a, a network of manufacturer representatives around the country. And so we'll help you directly. And, and if it's helpful, we can connect you with local folks who can uh, support a design and an installation of our units. Yep. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, incredible to learn more about this uh, really fantastic technology. And uh, thanks so much for spending time with us, Christian. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for listening to Fifth Wall's Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech Podcast. For more on Fifth Wall and our efforts in climate tech, visit our website at fifthwall.com.